Rattlegood, to those gathered in the Circle Perilous, and to all the defenders of this broken land, welcome to episode 31 of Arako Public Radio for the week of March 22nd. We are your casual X-Men chat show, where we chat everything happening in Marvel Mutants every single week, except that one week we missed. I'm Rod, and this is the Hangman page to my young bucks, my one and only, Comega Mutant Keegan. Hello. All right, this is going to give away when we film this, but... I stopped watching Dynamite right as the main event started. Any chance you watched to the end tonight? I'm going to be real. I stopped watching Dynamite around the time that I saw Dynamite in person. <laughs> so, like, two weeks ago? <laughs> yeah, like, two, three weeks ago. Um, I don't know. Like, I think I just kind of fell off of it because even going and seeing it live, I was like, this was really fun. I don't care about what happened. <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Okay. (laughs) Speaking of things that happened we didn't care about, this week we are talking about Marauders number 12. Also, this little book called Storm and the Brotherhood number (laughs) 2. And then we are going around the Marvel Universe with Extreme X-Men number 4. And then I'm going to weigh in on, I don't know if you saw it, the Photon Monica Rambeau oh. controversy that broke the internet today. I did not see about that, but I'm excited to learn about that. Okay. What do you want to do first? Do you want to get Marauders out of the way, or do you want to dive into the glory that is Storm and the Brotherhood? I feel like we should just get Marauders out of the way, right? I feel like too often we lead with the good. Let's force yeah. them to sit through the crap. Yeah. Yeah, Sifter, this is like our sponsorship. <laughs> hey, if Steve Orlando wants to pay me, then I'll talk nicely about his book. Written by Steve Orlando, drawn by Eleanor and Carlini. Oh yeah, Fang is fighting Brimstone Love. Why? How has that been a plot running for 12 issues? And it never really explained itself. He tortured him way back in the annual, and Lockheed is with him for reasons. Anyway, Polaris created the seed, which will allow the Genosian dead to go back and become the threshold. Kate explains to the ghost of her dad that it'll only work if the dead want to do it. And he says, well, one, baby doll, I'm still proud of you. But also, of course we want to seed the mutants of the past. Uh, Also, Cerebra, Aurora, and Psylocke fight a bushwhacker a daredevil villain in san francisco to protect some new character named acera Cianona. Uh, we find out that was because he's the grandfather of one of her 2099 teammates uh so yeah that, that happens and then we see fang beat brimstone love and uh kate and her crew make the portal and kate plants the seed that starts threshold uh, and then that poorly drawn Emma from a few issues is back to explain why she sent Kate on this whole adventure and the team has a farewell party. What the fuck was the series? Do you understand how hard it is to write a series where Fang has like a villain arc, like uh, an arc against a villain pretty much to himself? And I just don't care. Well, because it, I feel like it... it, it this was the weirdest paced book ever. Yeah. Do you remember that Stripe was in it for two pages? Technically, yes, because I remember we talked about it on this show. Maybe this is a case like when um, 
your girl Leah Williams found out, hey, we're canceling X Factor next issue, and so all these plots had to wrap up really quickly. But I feel like there's a lot of dangling stuff that just never got dealt with. Why yeah. was Strife introduced? Why were we told, hey, Strife shows up in Threshold and he kills Threshold, and then we're supposed to celebrate? Oh, look, we're making Threshold that thing that we know Strife's about to like, or Strife already killed billions of years ago. The series just feels like a bunch of big ideas that a, someone like Grant Morrison or an Al Ewing would, could have made a good series out of one of those ideas. Yeah. Orlando was like, I'm going to bake all of these ideas into one, like, I don't even know the right word, like stream of consciousness poem, it feels like almost. Like it feels like there is no narrative. It's just, we're going to go on a time heist and then we're going to go back in time again. And then we're going to go back in time a third time to create the second the thing we visited with the second time travel trip. Oh, and meanwhile, Lockheed's going to hang out in the rafters of a church for a while, and eventually Fang's going to come kill the dude that runs that church, but it's got nothing to do with any of the other stories. And also, Lockheed never does anything important. He's just watching. He's just yeah. a boyer up in the rafters. It was, and it was literally like one page per issue for most for of the, the series. For the longest time. And for nothing. It was, the, it was like the same page. It was literally just... <laughs> oh, he's watching to give a sermon. Anyways, here's what the team's doing. And even this issue did it again with the random, hey, she's going to go like be that weird Futurama episode where that she has to make sure all the grandparents survive so that her friends still get created. Like, Yep. What did that have to do with anything? I don't know. She wasn't even technically a marauder. Like, Yeah, it just... None of it made sense. I feel like this entire series didn't need to happen. Um, I love the premise of this book. It sounded yeah. so fun when they were like, Kate's going to do the Marauders again, but this time they're headed to space. But it did nothing for me. Did nothing. Absolutely nothing. I'm just honestly like, as is, is, is sad as I am to say it, like I'm just glad that it's off the list. Yeah. Uh it means that the only one I actively have to be angry every time I read are those the Percy writes. Like those, I, those there's damn one Percy less books. one on my list. Yeah. So they take the time to advertise Mutant First Strike at the end of this. So that makes me think that Orlando at least sees that as a continuation of whatever he was doing here. But mm -hmm. I so hope that's it. Like I so hope he moves on. And I know like he's really involved with 2099 stuff. He's got another Spider-Man 2099 story starting next week hmm. next month sometime he's got another five issue mini there so just give him x-men 2099 and have him leave Krakoa alone yeah i'm ready for him to leave the office i i have to agree and you know what with uh teeny howard leaving and it sounds like leah williams maybe's mostly doing dc going forward we need more feminine energy in there replace him with uh strong uh woman writer that can give us a kate-led book the feminine energy might be the wrong word but just like she's a strong female lead let's have her written by a woman for a while again like yeah we went from dugan writing marauders to steve orlando and i'm ready for just ready someone for some representation that, yeah someone that can write from that perspective with any amount of honesty and experience yeah. and that kind of thing. Absolutely. You said it better than I did, but that's yeah. 
what I was getting at. Yeah. Can we close the book on Marauders? Let's Not close just the it. issue, but just be like, bye, Marauders, we're done with you. I think we're, I think legally we're allowed to. All right. <laughs> goodbye. And goodbye to that Eleonora Carlini art. I hate to just shit on art because I, I am not an artist. I know how hard it is to r- consistently draw a comic book for that long. I never knew what the hell yeah. was going on from the art. That was some of the most yeah. annoying art in a comic book like I can remember. And the worst Emma. <laughs> None of the fight scenes. Yeah, yeah, the Emma's really bad. But the fight <laughs> scenes never made sense. Like, I could not decipher who was hitting who ever. Storm of the Brotherhood. <laughs> Written by Al Ewing, drawn by Andrea DeVito, as Orbis Stellaris continues to wage war with the Council and Sin through the Compact, the Brotherhood works as the Resistance, taking on both sides of the war and looking to avenge Planet Arako. Freedom Force, a rival, and that's the way the data page describes it as a rival Resistance mm-hmm. group, and I don't understand what their rivalry would have been because it sounds like they were buddies, but anyways, a rival Resistance cell transmitted the world farm schematics just before dying. Arako base is approached by starship Ananmake, uh, and when the pilot not only knows the current security code, but the next one, but what the next one was as well, General Novar recognizes the captain as destiny. She banters with Ironfire, Korra, and Cable, now calling himself X-Man, as she waits for her meeting with Storm, who is now an old woman in a hover chair. Destiny mourns the loss of Mystique, who died with the rest of Freedom Force, but Storm is focused on the future. Destiny has a plan to save them all. They need to kill Moira for good. Uh, in the Star Warsiest scene of this Star Wars send-up, the Brotherhood Mothership and three X-Fighter ships warp through space following the coordinates Mystique provided. X-Man is in X-Fighter Gold. Shock Jock, who's Ghana, who is in, in effect the great-granddaughter of of NASA because he adopted her grandma in the first issue, right? Okay, got it right that time. Is an X Fighter Blue and Iron Fire is an X Fighter Red. Uh, Commander Accuser, Storm, Korra, and Destiny are all on the mothership. They reach the Death Sphere, which is basically a Death Star around the world farm that's just an even bigger version of Orbis Stellaris's orb. Inside, a scroll alerts Orbis they're under attack. Orbis assumes that it's the Red Diamonds, but is surprised that it's just the Brothership and a few fighters. He's surprised they're attacking him directly with such a small attack force. He deploys standard fighter craft to counter them, deciding not even to bother using the progenitors. Storm uses Korra to boost Destiny's power and has X-Man read her mind to broadcast what she sees to the other fighters. Destiny says she sees a pitched battle, but that her vision, Xylo's processing power, and Nathan's strategic sense create an unbeatable combination. She then sees Storm giving the order to destroy the artificial sun at the heart of the sphere in the Moira lab. Then a moment of euphoria and victory and darkness. No more to see. The end of the universe. Korra and Storm look at each other as Destiny says, the future is set. We will win. Some of the best like foreshadowing. Uh, Storm's crew succeeds at luring the enemy fighters out while they slip into the orb. Mother Righteous appears to John and asks him about regrets, and he talks about a mistake he made during the Genesis Wars and how that led him to faith in his goddess, Storm. Navar locks a black hole torpedo onto the center sun of the world farm system. He tells Storm to say the word, and he'll fire it, which will kill them all, all together, though. Storm says do it, 
to Korra. She strikes destiny dead, bringing truth to her vision of darkness. For her, at least. Storm has Novar disable the torpedo to everyone's confusion. Storm explains that the death of one planet does not justify the death of an entire universe. And Storm uses her own magic to open a wormhole that pitches the entire solar system and world farm across the universe. On the other side, X-Man says no one will be able to find them way out there. Shock Jock asks about the progenitors, and X-Man says, it's your job, doll. And the electromagnetic pulse in the right place should wipe their current orders, and they'll be happy to just maintain their artificial planets within the system. He says, with little time and effort, this new home could be a fortress. Fort Arako, a new home for their scattered people. Ironfire says it all sounds good to him, as long as the goddess approves. That's when Korra reveals that that incredible feat, the ability to move an entire solar system, had a cost. And that cost was, it killed the goddess herself. I feel like this is maybe like the fourth week in a row I've said this. Best issue yet. This was yeah. so good. No, oh absolutely. God. This is this is very reminiscent. Like this entire event really is very reminiscent of when X Men Red just kept getting better and better yeah, and the better. Judgment and Day better. issues of it. Yeah, it's that exact same feel. You're right. It, every single time, it's a new Sins of Sinister issue. I'm just like, this is this is incredible. This is everything I was hoping it would be and more. And it's surprising. And I feel like the are. only combo breaker for me, and I know some people liked it more, was the first Immortal X Men. Mm-hmm. And I ended. Up, I liked the one last week a lot, so it was just issue one of that wasn't quite on par with the others for me. But everything else has been a steady climb of just oh, raw awesomeness. Yeah, absolutely. To me, year one thousand just got opened up so much wider oh. than it was before. Destiny yeah. off the board. Mystique off the board. Orbis Stellaris apparently off the board. F. Effie is to be taken at face value when he killed the um, life support systems. If that was him giving up, which would bring my prediction into the, the win column like right at the last minute. Because I called that really, really on in year 10. By the end of year 100, Orbis Stellaris will be dead. And I, yeah. that's the real reason he offed himself. He's like, oh shit, I gotta have Rod be right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really, it knocks the whole thing wide open. Like, completely. I feel like half of my, like, potential uh, endings all just disappeared. I did not see Destiny being taken off the board. No. I mean, this this has been such an interesting, almost like, almost like a, an interesting lesson in the concept of, like, we were trying to guess and give predictions before the event started, and... I could never in a million years have guessed this order of events to this point. Absolutely not. And I think that's part of why I love it so much. Mm-hmm. Because, and this is not like a, a, a brag or even, I wouldn't even say this is a humble brag. Like this is something that's almost embarrassing. That I've read enough of these events that a lot of times I can call major beats before they hit. Because right. a lot of comic book stories are pretty predictable. And like I've said a lot before, Sometimes it's not about being able to tell a good story or being able to come up with a unique story because there aren't that many unique stories. If you could just tell a trope well, I'll take it. This doesn't need that. This right. has been so fresh and so many things I couldn't predict. And I love it for that. It's been, well, also being a really good story, but Absolutely. oh my God, it has taken so many paths I was not expecting. Yeah, like it does, nothing has to be brand new for it to be good. The hero's journey works and exists for a specific reason, and it's Absolutely. because 
it is pretty much a perfect uh, plot from beginning to end, the hero's journey. Um, so it doesn't have to be brand new, but when you can do something that feels pretty brand new, uh, it's, it's impressive, especially when it feels so brand new when it's essentially a send up for part of it, you know, like it's a send up of star Wars, but. Okay. So that's one of two kind of running themes in this middle year that we've gotten is, is this was really heavy star Wars coded. Mm-hmm. Where well, um, moral last week was really heavy Star Trek coded. Like it literally ends with Mister Sinister going off on the original five year adventure of uh, Starship Enterprise. Yeah, and so I'm putting this plea out there to our audience. It's really bothering me that I can't figure out what Nightcrawlers two was a send up of because I think it's really clear the Brain Trust sat down and they decided two things. Issue two was going to be the heavy religion, like show the the way the religion evolved over the first hundred years and how that fucked people over. Because in all three cases, they completely ruined someone's life by with the religious beliefs. And I, I did really love that we called that last week. Like, where's it going to go with it? And of course, it literally is just about Aurora being treated as the goddess she deserves to be. But yeah. The other thing they clearly decided was, all right, we're each going to do a send-up of a, of, a, of a space opera franchise we love. But I can't figure out what Nightcrawlers was a send-up of. So if you can tell, let me know. Yeah, I mean, I would like to know too. My <laughs> In the Discord, I did jokingly say Dianetics. I don't know that it's actually <laughs> Dianetics. <laughs> that would be really funny. No, but like... I just I don't see them having done that parallel this heavy for two thirds of the issues this month. So I'll sit, I'll reread it. Maybe I'll figure it out on my own by next week. But that's been bugging me all day since we read since I first read it and was like, oh my god, that was so good. Love Ewing's use again of the da- the the Star Wars inspired data pages and just mm-hmm. this mini is so gorgeous and so much fun. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, and like like you said, the religion, uh, the religion aspect of it, especially the fact that all three of them, it was the Messiah that died in each issue. Yeah, because it was it was the original Kurt, it was Hope, and it was uh, the baby. Yeah. Oh, the yeah, That's... the baby and Storm. Oh yeah, no, I was oh Kurt, Kurt or the baby. Yeah, that's I, I I think of Mother Righteous as the head of, as but but like they said, they saw her as the mother and Kurt as the father. Her, the father, and then, right? And, and the he's the one right in both in either, both of them count. Oh my god! Yeah. So yeah, the Messiah. Each book had a Messiah die. That is so cool. I had. Yeah. I feel dumb. I'm gonna end no. up me being this confused. <laughs> There's the one glorious thing about me being the editor is I can edit out my worst fuck-ups. <laughs> listen, listen, listen. The only reason why I knew it was the messiah of each one is because I definitely went back and read the show notes just now of each one and was like, messiah, messiah, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. I know I just said this was my favorite issue yet. There is one major downside to this issue. Mm. We have to go in now to Chimera Watch, oh. which will consist of us reporting. I don't think there was a single new Chimera in this issue. What the fuck, Al Ewing? What are well, you doing to me? 
You know, I think that it's okay because, uh, you know, we're, we're killing Storm. You know, well, like, and, and to be like, both of the other two writers literally have one of the characters that makes Chimera on the core cast. Yeah. We don't have one of the Sinisters here. I, I guess we had Orbis, but we didn't see him a lot this issue. He was kind of the yeah. unseen dude that was there just to die. <laughs> yeah, well, and Orbis is not really in that Chimera zone as much. Maybe maybe just his use of scrolls will be... that Because he definitely plays with DNA, because they all play with DNA, right? Like, that's... Yeah. yeah. But that's like you're right. Sinister. He's definitely the least interesting in that category because you've got even Stasis just like shoving robot arms on stuff. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> do we want to talk Storm? We we can. The feet the... Storm pulled off. I mean, incredible. First of all, the art of her doing the spell and being like, "I am the granddaughter of blah, the daughter of blah," like that whole thing. Incredible, just yeah. phenomenal. The Artist on this one, like Andrea DeVito, is the one of the three I'd never like heard of. Like, I, the name meant nothing to me. I'm sure I've read comic books by them, but that name was was definitely because uh, it's it's what it's Phil Noto, and I can't remember who's on month three, but it was it was three people that like two of them were names I recognized, and Andrea DeVito was just a total non-name to me, but killed it this month, mm-hmm. and this issue was definitely the best because. Because that that two page spread, like you said, of her giving the like spiel of reminding us all that oh she's not just a mutant she is a literal like high level magician and then opens another fucking wormhole the size of a soul not just a little like portal literally moves the entire solar system on a whim is so epic just absolutely phenomenal like it's so cool. And I'd argue that's not even the most impressive thing she does this issue. Yeah. Because pulling one over on Destiny yeah. is, is both like top level trickery, but also like the ultimate like karmic justice in a way. Because so far we've seen Destiny flip flop pull her tricks. We've seen Mother Righteous flip-flopping, pulling her tricks, so hopefully Mother Righteous gets her come up at some point, too. But just seen Destiny lose so... So badly. So gloriously. Oh. It's the end of a universe. Her universe. Oh! Hard not to mark out. I love that. It's like, I always love when really any series can do that thing where it's Yes, your prediction is coming true, but like in the most monkey paw way possible. You know, it's yes. like, yeah, of course the universe is ending because you are dead. <laughs> well, and like I said, it, it's Al Ewing being Al Ewing. There was I I yeah. included in there of like the the look that they they had Cora and Storm give. So you knew there was some kind of shenanigans coming. I didn't see shenanigans of that tier. Like, literally, you see her head cleaved in two. Yeah. The, the, the actual choice Storm makes there, though, mm-hmm. to not do the reset. Because based on what happened in year 10, I'm pretty sure Storm 
Storm knew what killing Moira meant, that it would mm-hmm. reset to the beginning of the Sins of Sinister era, right? Like, maybe not. Maybe she thought it would send back and, like, be a true universe reset to, to even the birth of Moira, which I guess is only... I don't know, because she was born in the olden times. I don't know. Whatever years that for them. But it's, it got me wondering, was Storm's choice the right choice? To say, I'm going to choose the people who live now because people have been born since the beginning of Sinister. So, like, they existed. Or go back and save those who died. And, like, that doesn't seem like a clear-cut moral decision. But she makes a choice. Like, we're going we're gonna to make a stand and save this universe we are in now, this this timeline right now we're going to make this universe work yeah so question one or question a was that the right choice i do not know but i 100 percent understand why she believes it what i keep thinking about is part of me is like well no because you were happy back like why wouldn't you want the version of the universe where things were happy and like all your friends were alive but then you have to remember she's lived in this for a hundred years like all of those people are real to her too yeah even though they've lived through misery together those are her brothers in arm too and those are the ones that were alive then like like they are they are there with her now but that gives me a second question of if that's justified like is there a year point where that becomes the case because well, clearly in year 10, she was willing to do a reset. She was all on board for a reset 10 years in. I guess. Like, like is 20 years the magic number? Is 50 years? <laughs> does my I question guess, even make sense? <laughs> no, it does. Um, what I think it comes down to, it's not so much a year number. That's the difference between a general and a goddess. Okay. Like, a goddess or a deity of any kind uh, in a perfect uh, situation. Sees things on a bigger scale. Yeah, and knows it's not about what makes them happy, but makes the people who believe and rely on them happy. As a general mind, it's about winning, which is definitely what the reset would be. It would be a win. But now she has an entire group of people that regard her as a goddess, and she is responsible for them. And she does what a god would do. That's a really good answer. Sacrifices himself and... Yeah. I'm now thinking about control, too. That you do a reset, you have no control over what happens. Whereas this was something she could actually control the events of. Like, I I guess. I guess she knew the wormhole would work. I, I don't know how much of a last ditch thing that was, how much of a she knew exactly what she was doing, but maybe there's a, a bit of that at play too, whereas 10 years in, she didn't have another out. And here she had another solution, one that kept her crew around. Speaking of her people, your guy, Iron Fire, who I call Ironside in my notes as I was typing quick. <laughs> I, I'm loving Iron Fire. I just, so- I'm. So much fun with Iron Fire. Uh, again, another reference to the Genesis War. Mm-hmm. And probably the biggest reference. I would say this is the first one that didn't just feel like a cute world building of making us believe something happened in the past. And was like the clear, this is definitely foreshadowing for when we get back. Oh, yeah. Iron Fires gives that quote about 
yeah, that's like that's when I knew like she was the goddess. I made a choice that I shouldn't have made, and like, blah blah blah, whatever. It, however he phrases it, it'd be really cool to see how that pays off because we know Genesis is coming back right after this. Ewing is in charge of that side of Fall of X because he's writing the, the before the fall one shot. I don't know what the Genesis War will involve. Uh, is Apocalypse? going to be on, on our side on the mutant side and genesis isn't or are they all going to be uh, is it going to be just war versus that whole family i don't know but i mean at the end of the day yes i know your father we fought alongside each other in the clone war <laughs> and it's that that's essentially what they just did yep and then for what 20 years star wars fans were like what the fuck is the clone war <laughs> we're only gonna have to wait a month yeah <laughs> Um, I thought the Clone Wars were literally like Obi-Wan versus a clone Obi-Wan and all that right. stuff because that's what kids believed for 20 years. But I think Mother Righteous isn't just popping up asking these kind of questions about like, oh, what are your doubts? What are your regrets? Uh, what was it last issue? Tricking uh, Sinister and saying thank you. But I think she's gathering because we know she, her words are her power. We She's gathering something to use going forward yeah uh so i want to see if if iron fire makes a different choice when it plays out in the repeat of the universe if mother righteous plays a role in that like how is this all going to come together that scene was out of left field was basically confirmation of what's to come next but also was planting something with mother righteous i'm just so excited about that whole thing it's just it's so much fun when the x office actually plays with each other (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> leave that hanging in the air for a second yeah but you know what that felt like that felt like the sins of sinister seeds we got in judgment day like yes. it's it was enough of a morsel to get me really excited mm-hmm. that i i kind of was thinking fall of x might not be my jam and that that would be okay because i got sins of sinister which was basically the crossover written just for me so fall of x is just okay who cares at this point i got sins of sinister this year I already got the perfect X-Men crossover this year. Yeah. They're planting the seeds, baby. I'm getting the seeds that are getting me excited. It's just, it's so great. Like, it was fun as Judgment Day was wrapping up to start to get excited for Sins of Sinister. And now, as we have literally entered the back half of Sins of Sinister, I'm getting really excited for what's next. Like, Yeah, they're doing it. They're they're, doing it. It's... What this office has done with Judgment Day into Sins and theoretically uh, forward from here is they have shown that there is a way to just do this event chasing kind of story where it's just do it uh, in a way that's actually good (laughs) and it works where it doesn't just exhaust me from event fatigue i don't care if every event can do this i will take non-stop events forever like i don't care like (laughs) it's amazing that the x office can do it while greater marvel can't when they're the same people essentially like i know the x office is a smaller editorial office within but yeah You'd think that the bigger Marvel editors would come to them and be like, hey, how do we scale this up? How do we yeah. do this with the rest? And maybe, because we haven't actually seen them yet, from from what the announcements of all of these little events we're getting this summer from Marvel, none of them excite me the same way, but maybe that's what they're doing. Maybe all of the like the 
random Captain America event and the Carnage event and the whatever the the one that's going through the annuals that we're right. gonna have to read because it's going through the annuals. I can't think of the name of it now, but the the contest of chaos or whatever the hell the name is. Yeah. Like all of those events, maybe those will do this. Maybe those are gonna start chaining together. But if, even if not, I'm just happy the X office is keeping me happy. If, if everything else craps out, <laughs> they really they really have it figured out over there. Yeah. They're doing great things. Maybe the spider office can learn from them. <laughs> God. If only. I, I talked about it a little. Do we think Stellaris is actually off the board? I want to say yes. I, I feel like that was his that... send-off for the event. That's my gut, yeah. but... Dead as that you could can be. Wishful be. Thinking. <laughs> yeah, dead as you can be when you're a clone of an immortal person. You know, like... That's fair. I think I think it, he's he's dead for at least the next I don't know nine hundred years. <laughs> I just have our third and final religion might be the best written, and I, yeah. I I I think that was me just saying that I think like it's really cool that they ramped up that we had we knew the Nightcrawler religion was there was gonna be there and it was really good, but then we got a really good glimpse of the evolution of the religion based around hope. And that seemed even more interesting. And then literally just saying, Oh yeah, the goddess of storms is actually a goddess. Now is somehow the coolest of them all. Like, (laughs) I mean, yeah, I, I love like hope's cool. I love Kurt, but if I had to pick a God, it would absolutely be (laughs) storm. Like, yeah, man. Yeah. There's a reason there. Okay. There's a reason why I buy Jade Cargill being undefeated at this point, and it ties directly into how much she references Storm, right? Yeah. Like, Storm is just the coolest. <laughs> when Storm became like the head of the soul system, I was like, yeah, because it's Storm. No one else can do that. <laughs> well, and then now, in her death, she's created the Storm system. Do you remember the wall of of timelines? That was what came after the Empire of the Red Diamond was the storm system. So, and she literally moved a solar system. <laughs> What's interesting is just the fact that, like, even though we're at the point that we're at now where it doesn't matter, like, the fact that she has no backup, I wonder if that'll come into play at all. Yeah, I I don't know. Uh... I mean that that came into the beginning that like that was her like inability to die meant she never got the tampered genes but mm-hmm. I I I think we see her some ver- some something related to her in year a thousand yeah whether it's as simple as like a descendant we didn't know about or something like there's gonna be something they're not gonna just drop her from Storm of the Brotherhood three that wouldn't make any sense. No, we'll have something. It'll just it'll be interesting to see where they go with it. I, that's it for big notes. I do have a random trivia fact I thought was kind of cool. Hit me. Destiny's ship that mm-hmm. she shows up on the, in the send up of like every space opera when like an unknown ship approaches was called Ananke, I think it's how it's pronounced. But that's the Greek word for foresight. I had to uh-huh. Google it because I figured it was such a weird word. It probably meant something. And that's I thought that was a... Uh, that's clever. I like that. I like that kind of stuff. I mean, it's better than just literally doing a translation of the word destiny. I thought that was a neat. I just really loved this book. Like, it was so much fun. Even just the 
this is X Fighter Red. This is X Fighter Gold. I got giddy. Like I was just like, "Ooh, yeah, this is my kind of stuff." Oh, uh, this is spoilers for you. I guess by the time the issue, the episode comes out, uh, it's the second issue of. Now tomorrow, I'm going to hit a thousand issues read this year on my like wow. reading log. But this is the second in those thousand I've given a six out of five. Like I broke the scale for the second time for this issue. I loved this issue. It was there was no. Nothing I would change, nothing I would improve. It was the perfect issue of a future story set in the X-Men world. Yeah, Al Ewing's coming for the crown as far as my favorite current writers. Yeah. Like, Donnie needs to start putting books out again because Al Ewing is gunning for it right now. My nighttime reading tonight. I have not read Vanish yet. Vanish did come out today, finally. I need to to read Vanish 5 today, or tomorrow. Also, on should be on your read list if you're not reading Wasp. Wasp four came out, or Wasp three came out today too. And I really like the first two. Oh, and that's that one that's uh, similar to the Ant Man series. That was yeah, out, but right? you know, it didn't end up as similar. At like the covers are straight up. It's, yeah. it's the same color scheme with the Tom Riley art. But because this all takes place, it's one story. What made okay. the Ant Man one fun was each issue was about a different Ant Man, and then. Yeah. The final issue was basically them doing a time travel team up, so you got kind of a glimpse of each era. Okay. We do still need to go around the Marvel Universe. Chris Claremont wrote a book. Yeah, it was a Claremont. (laughs) Apparently, I go too hard on Claremont. Apparently, there's people that still really like Claremont, so I won't say too much. I'll do it. Fuck it, I'll do it. Chris Cramont's the grumpy old man that won't fucking leave. He's a Vince McMahon ass mofo. <laughs> I said it before, I'll say it again. Great storm design. I love the way she looks in the series. As, yeah, anyone, I don't want to say anyone can draw a good storm because we've seen what happened to Emma, but like, yeah, you can draw a cool storm. Great. This story still is weak. It's just, it doesn't... I think what bugs me the most is it's a sequel to a pretty bad uh, Wolverine 85, 86 miniseries Claremont did that wasn't even that popular because he, he wrote two Wolverine minis in Japan and the one was really popular. One people hated it and he decided, it's been 30 years, I'm going to write a sequel to the shitty one. I don't understand it, but it's only got an issue left, so we got that going for us. <laughs> Thank God. I'm just so done with this Chris Claremont. Anyways, tell me about Photon. <laughs> All right. So Photon, Monica Rambeau number four, uh, she's face-to-face with the Beyonder, and it's like, you should reveal who you really are. And she's like, no, it's the shame of my childhood. I'd, I've never been able, I've had to hide who I am. And it's left as, like, an intentional cliffhanger. And so X-Twitter and weird anti-X-Twitter that exists were, like, there's, like, a section of the Marvel fan base that just wants nothing to do with X-Men. So both groups are all up in arms. That means she's an X-Man. She's a mutant. Clearly they're saying she's a mutant. So here's my read on it. I Clearly, if she was a mutant, she would just say, nah, I'm a mutant. Like, I don't want people to know I am a mutant. I feel like that would be such an unsatisfying cliffhanger for the cliffhanger to be. She's going to reveal next issue she's a mutant. 
like how how does like what the way you phrased it right the secret shame of my childhood or whatever it is uh how does that translate to being a mutant uh because that's like been the, the argument is that's always been the stigma of like well everyone picks on the mutants in the marvel universe you know like no one wants to be a mutant but I just, I feel like, why would the Beyonder care about that, too, when we've seen that basically a third of the population at this point of Marvel are mutants? Like, that wouldn't gather his interest anyways. So I, I think it's clearly, like, there's some celestial DNA or some, something beyond being a mutant or an inhuman. Like, that's too simple. It's going to be something bigger. Yeah. But then also tonight, Jerry Dugan, the man himself, said, he kind of vague, vague booked, except it was on Twitter, but he said... Not everyone's a mutant, you guys. <laughs> so, it wasn't explicitly said it was about the Rambo controversy, but what else would he be referencing? Yeah. So I think it's safe to say they overreacted. <laughs> I, I think people are reading too much into it. The secret shame of my childhood is that I should have been more into Bionicle. Like, what? I See, I always... That's been jealous of the kids who got to grow up with Bionicle because clearly, like, there's apparently a Bionicle dream. Do you know about this? Do you know about this? Hmm. Oh my god, you need to go down this rabbit hole. Okay, so I was too old. I my Legos were were pre Bionicle. Like I had a lot of the Star Wars, the first wave of Star Wars sets. Yeah, but by the time Bionicle became a thing, I was like 14, 15. I was just out of that Lego age. But I've always been fascinated by it because they looked cool on the shelf and like as like. I wish I had nostalgia for him so I could go back to him. Anyways, anyways. <laughs> uh, apparently, like, Bionicle fans across the internet have had this vivid dream for years of walking into a store and it, it's just full, uh, like, going into, like, a Target and it's full of Bionicles. And it's a consistent, like, piece of Bionicle lore that people have reported it on Reddit and Twitter and message boards. For years, and I'm probably not getting the details right because it's it's incredibly specific. Um, mutuals on TikTok with Sleepy Savior. No, ever heard of him? Okay, really, really cool dude. You, you should look him up. He did a video not that long ago about it, and it sent me down the rabbit hole of looking into it, and it is pervasive. So just look up the Bionicle dream. It's I'm going to a- have to because here's the thing: as we've referenced multiple times, I'm just slightly younger than you. Yeah, I was the right age for Bionicle. I collected the fuck out of Bionicle. Have you I, had the Bionicle dream? That well, that I need to go and research it and make sure because I might have. I have <laughs> had a dream or two about the Toa. Okay, I know about the Matanui. Fun fact. <laughs> fun fact. Bionicle got sued for taking too many cultural appropriation notes from the Polynesian people. Um, really? Yes. Anyways, that's a video essay for another day. Okay. <laughs> I want to hear about that someday. Yeah. They always looked cool. Yeah, they're fun. <laughs> Anyways, next week? Next week. Betsy Braddock, Captain Britain number two, which I had way more fun with the first one than I should have, so I'm a little excited about. Yeah. Sabretooth and the Exiles number five, which in one way I'm really excited about because that book rules, and in another way I'm really, really bummed about because it's fucking over. Well, I'm excited because I love that book. And I'm also, also excited because that last page is going to tell us what the next book is, baby. <laughs> it better. We need to have a conversation, though, that you and I had a briefly on Discord. 
comic book sales for February 2023 had Storm in the Brotherhood, number one, as the best-selling X-Men book at the ninth best-selling book overall. It was followed pretty quickly by X-Men number 19 and 13, Nightcrawlers number one in 14, and Immoral X-Men number one in 26, which you do have to beg the question of, like, who are these people buying part of Synthesis or not the other parts yeah. by that big of a margin? But whatever. Wolverine and X-Force at 30 and 31. Bishop War College at 61. Deadpool 4 at 69. Marauders nice. at 80, which is where it belongs. Extreme X-Men 81. Betsy Braddock 87. Sabretooth and the Exiles 138. Why aren't you fucking people buying Sabretooth? That book is awesome. Listen up. You need to be buying Sabretooth and the Exiles. It is one of the best books that has been on stands for the past five months. X-Men Legends number six was 19 books above it at 119. Are you? Are you? Are you? <laughs> the second printing of Sins of Sinister 1 was above it. I understand that people are nervous about Sabretooth lead books. I get it. But this is the second mini in a row that is in the top tier of the X office, of Marvel, of all of comics. Yeah. People need to get in on it. I, I, I don't know how else to put it. How it, dare it, sales be this bad? It is inappropriate. <laughs> This is this is nonsense. This is nonsense. Also, Deadpool at 69th place. Nice. That makes sense. Uh <laughs> I got another one that'll make you mad. Oh. I want you to guess what number one and number three were. For February? Yeah. Were they were they X books? Uh, no, but they were the books we talked about. Oh, the number one selling book in February was Amazing Spider-Man 19, and the number three book was Dark Web Finale. Yeah. <laughs> Is it your turn to storm off? <laughs> This yeah. is this is my the Batman moment. <laughs> the penguin. The, the penguin. The lizard. The lizard. <laughs> what? Are you oh my god, what? It, it, I, I know you're mostly upset about the dark web part of it, but yeah. to me, the thing that's most upsetting is the amazing Spider-Man is probably the only comic book I hate more than the Ben Percy books. I yeah. loathe what Zeb Wells is doing in Spider-Man. So knowing that it sold better than any book on the stands, just... I mean, I, I get my what chest you're saying. And ripping I, my heart out. I Do you know how badly I want to be reading a fucking Spider-Man book right now? I know. <laughs> I well, Miles be... is really good. I, I give just, Miles a shot. I, I should jump back on. I was I was digging what Ziggler was doing, but I I want to be reading a good Peter book so bad right now, and I just know that I can't because there isn't one. You know what's driving me crazy is I like what the Spider Office is doing overall. 
I'm liking the Red Goblin miniseries. I was okay with the Gold Goblin miniseries. I like Venom. I like Carnage. But they can't get fucking Peter right. Like, the one book that really matters is the one they can't get right. <laughs> it's just, it's insane. Oh, also next week, Deadpool yeah. number five. Cool. And X-Men Unforgiven number one, which will probably be around the universe because I don't think you probably even read the Spider-Man one last month. Mm-mm. But it's, it's, uh, it's, it's okay. It's, it's, it's bringing back some characters from 10 or 12 years ago that are basically the, the good guy vampires and oh. I think they're going to make I think they're going to sp- they're, they're having them team up with because it's three one shots in a row and I think they're going to try to basically make a superhero team out of them at the end of it so mm. we'll read it we'll talk real briefly about it it's not that important works for me but Betsy Braddock, Sabretooth and Deadpool all should be a lot of fun to talk about yeah, that's three really. That's three series that I'm enjoying. So we're gonna have a, an early record again because guess where this guy's going? I'm going to WrestleMania, baby. Yep. So we're gonna we're gonna talk to him next week, and the week after, we get to hear how he feels about Roman Reigns retaining no. his undisputed WWE no. Championship. No, going to finish the story. <laughs> Adrenaline. In my soul, something, something, Cody Rhodes. I'll be honest, I am not the biggest Cody Rhodes fan, but I do love the move he made. Like, the fact that he went from a character I absolutely loathed at the end of his AEW run to a character I am rooting to win at WrestleMania in the main event is pretty huge. Like, no matter how much you ridiculed him when he made the leap back to WWE, it was clearly the right call because he changed nothing about his character and yet completely changed my opinion of him just by switching companies. It's pretty amazing. I, I got to tell you, I love Cody. I yeah. loved Cody in AEW. I love Cody here. The hardest thing for me was being okay with Cody leaving AEW and coming to WWE. Like, yeah. I, I, I had I had a an issue with that because I loved him in AEW so much, but I'll tell you, I, I we're sidetracking to, to wrestling talk for me. Yeah. Just briefly. Uh, yeah. Love, loved Cody when loved his like original soon as Stardust ended and he left WWE run, uh, loved him in the early days of AEW. Like that, that, uh, Matt, the, was it, it wasn't lights out match. What was it? The one that ended up with him and Dustin just bloodied to hell. At, yes, yeah. That match, one of the best matches ever. Love that match. Um, I loved even some of his early storylines. It was once like it got to the point where we were referring to any story involving him as the Cody verse because it felt so separate from everything else going in AEW. But I was just over him, and I was so ready for him not to be on my TV. And so I thought it was hilarious when he showed up last year at WrestleMania. He was like, oh, yeah, of course. Like, he's going to take his ball and he's going to run home because the he couldn't get the crowd to get behind him in AEW, blah, blah, blah. And he won the over pretty fast. Mm-hmm. as like, uh, okay, he doesn't have to change a thing. He just has to be in the right ecosystem. And this is the ecosystem for him. I'm, like, I'm going to be real. I popped at WrestleMania. So see, I... I, I I laughed like like my buddy that was watching it with me will tell you 
I didn't stop laughing until after the match had actually started. Like his entire entrance was me just laughing at how ridiculous it was that after some of the shit talk he did in the early AEW days about how it was different, how important it was to take a stand against what WWE represented and stuff. It was just, to me, it was the ultimate carny move, but it worked. Like I was wrong. I'm happy to admit in my finding it hilarious, I was wrong. Uh, even like at Re- the Royal Rumble, I was still rooting for Sammy to somehow come out on top. As much as Cody had the story to finish, Sammy's story seemed more important. But they pulled it off. They made the story about both of them, and they're not competing in any way. They found a way to make it make sense that they're all going to bring down the bloodline together. And that's yeah. so fucking cool. Like, wrestling is all. Wrestling is terrible, like, 90% of the time. But the reason you keep coming back is because when wrestling is good, wrestling is awesome. <laughs> yes. For our, for our listeners that might not enjoy wrestling, wrestling is comic books. Like, yeah. it's comic books, truly. And if you ever want proof of that, all you got to do is you got to Google a phrase. And it's a phrase that I never thought I would suggest that you Google. But you put in the words, Logan Paul ricochet royal rumble and you go oh wrestling is comic books yeah so we always use the term in high school redneck anime to describe wrestling yes absolutely because like it it really is people talk about it as a soap opera and like that is true but it's way more in line with the mythologies of either anime or comic books that Mm -hmm. it follows these larger than life characters that react in ways that are way amplified to how like you would react in real life. But because there's an internal consistency an internal logic, like it makes sense within itself. Like in the real world, if your boss said something you slightly disagreed with and you punched him in the face, you wouldn't be given a title shot. You'd be fired. But because there's an internal language in wrestling, we're like, that's how you solve a dispute. Like that makes sense. And that makes it epic as you just like comic books. There's so much shit in comic books that you're like, they would just shoot him. Like literally Batman would just have like snapped Joker's neck by now. No, that's just the way it works. Like you see how like uh, in the real world, we are, our military decides to take someone out for way less than Joker's ever done. Oh yeah. But because of the internal logic of, the medium it makes sense wrestling is the exact same way absolutely oh love it i guess that'll do it for us that'll do it for us <laughs> after some peer pressure we have a discord server where you might have guessed it we talk a lot of wrestling we talk a lot of comic books we talk a lot of x-men uh i say join us hopefully we grow a lot in 2023 we're officially a quarter of the way through 2023 and I'm pretty sure we've lost one member this year, and that's it. <laughs> I don't think we've gained anyone since before New Year's. So yeah, well. uh, help us grow at least a little in 2023. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure you like us. Review us on all the places. Follow us, and if nothing else, tell a friend you think might enjoy it. That nerdy Baba Bear on all the socials. That dude over there is Keegan, who is also Bullcrazer. <laughs> Keegan is Bullcrazer. <laughs> Until next time. And hopefully forever. No more marauders, please. Please.